listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot. LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan. And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Thanks for tuning into the show. I'm Aaron Fishman, and shortly I'll be joined by ESPN NBA writer and editor, Yovan Buha, who's covered the Los Angeles Clippers through thick and thin over the last handful of years. Wednesday, a week before the interview was recorded, franchise cornerstone Chris Paul was traded to the Rockets after requesting to join forces with James Harden in the Space City. Two days later, the Clippers refused to rebuild, locking up superstar forward Blake Griffin to a five-year contract worth max money. While our discussion centers around the Paul and Griffin deals, we'll also touch upon the arrival of Danilo Gallinari, the departure of the very kind fan-favorite Jamal Crawford, and Jerry West's exciting new presence in the front office. I recommend finding a comfortable surface as Yovan graciously spends an hour analyzing all this. I'm delighted to have you on the show again. So much has changed for the Clippers since the last time we talked. They were getting ready for that first round series against the Jazz. Didn't end too well for the Clippers. I hope you enjoyed your 4th of July. So how ready are you right now to talk about the Clippers and all this craziness? I'm very ready, man. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. It's been a crazy like week and a half around this team. And um, so much has happened. There's so much to talk about. And I'm ready to get into it. Yeah, it's been a whirlwind. So Chris Paul leaving, we have to start with that, I think, because... I mean, there's so many important things to talk about, but given the nature of this Clippers franchise, even though there's been more hope and optimism in recent years, when it comes down to it, I think it makes way more sense to start off with the negative news. <laughs> so let's just do that. I want to try to get to the bottom of why Chris Paul chose to leave the Clippers. That was announced exactly a week ago that he would be traded to the Houston Rockets. From your perspective, I know you're you're not completely behind the scenes as a fly on the wall, but what was the biggest reason why? To me, the, the biggest reason why was this team had a ceiling. And I think it's funny, like whenever people have looked at this team, I think over the past couple of years and, and kind of looked at the future of the team and we, we knew Blake and Chris were going to most likely be free agents this summer together. And there's the possibility of both leaving or both staying or one of them leaving and and the Clippers kind of having to pick between one of them. I think it was always looked at from the Clippers perspective and, you know, can this team win a championship? Can they make the Western Conference finals? Can they make the finals? And it was never really looked at from the players perspective of would Chris or Blake even want to stay? And I think from, you know, if I'm Chris Paul, He's 32, going to be 33 next season. So historically, like, small point guards do not age well. And so, you know, I I think Chris Paul is as skilled as probably any player in the league. So I think he should be fine, and he probably has another three or four years at a very high level. 
but you really never know. And he's at the age now where he could drop off over a summer and come back not a max level player. And, you know, he obviously wants to win a championship, wants to make the conference finals, get that monkey off his back. And I, I think for him, surveying the scene, I, I think Houston and San Antonio both had more upside. Um, I, you know, the, the Clippers with their cap situation were most likely going to lose J.J. Redick no matter what. Uh, and, you know, still might end up losing Luke Mabamute, uh, who actually ended up being a, a bargain signing for them uh, with the, the biannual exception. So I, I think just looking at it from that perspective, like the Clippers were basically going to return the same team as last year, minus their two starting wings. And if I'm Chris Paul, and we just won, you know, 51 games uh, and, and lost in the first round, like, that's not very attractive to me. Obviously, they were injured last year. I think if they're healthy, they're probably in the, in the mid to high 50s and wins. But still, you're not beating the Warriors, and you're not guaranteed to beat the Spurs uh, as currently constructed. So I, I just think from that perspective, like, there wasn't much upside in this situation unless the Clippers were willing to move on from Blake Griffin or DeAndre, if you're looking at this from Chris Paul's perspective. It didn't seem like that was going to be the case, uh, at least yet. And the, the other loophole, too, that, that people you know now are talking about, but no one had really talked about it before, is that you know by doing this and by basically opting in and agreeing to a trade, uh, you know Chris Paul is almost getting a six-year deal. Like he's getting this next year, and then he's going to sign a five-year max next summer, whether it's with the Rockets or someone else. And, you know, that he's going to get more next season than he would have gotten in his sixth season at like 38. So really, Chris Paul is going to end up getting more money actually over the next six years than he would have otherwise. Um, so, uh, you know, I think he's going to be in a better situation and he's going to be making more money. Uh, so to me, it's kind of a no brainer from his perspective. Uh, I'm just disappointed the team didn't get to stick together. I, I really think that, you know, they've been as snake bitten of a team as I've ever seen I, I think it, you know, one fully healthy, this core could easily make the conference finals. I don't think they could beat the Warriors, but I really thought they, you know, they were eventually going to make it over the next couple of years. And it's kind of disappointing for that to come to an end. Delving a little more deeply into Chris Paul's decision, I think there's a tendency from a Clippers perspective to see this as an affront to them when the prospect of teaming up with James Harden was just more attractive combined with the lack of financial flexibility going forward for the Clippers and likely losing Bob Mute and Redick. The other things, though, that I wanted to ask you about what went into the decision, reports said that the Clippers were hesitant to offer the full five years, which I think he could have seen as a sign of weakness and that the Clippers weren't all in on him. To what extent do you think that that factored into his decision? To be completely honest, I think that was the Clippers trying to save face. Uh, because if, you know, looking at the reporting of it, that didn't come out until after he, you know, that trade had already been reported. So mm -hmm. to me, if, if, it, if it came out before that and was like, you know, the Clippers aren't looking to give him that fifth year, you know, now Chris might leave. That's one thing, but the fact that he already agreed, you know, or they already agreed to the trade with the Rockets and it had been reported, and then hours later it comes out, well, the Clippers didn't want to give him, you know, that fifth year. 
to me, that seems a little bit of them trying to save face and make this look like a mutual decision rather than Chris just saying, I don't want to be here. I don't know that for a fact. That's just my gut and intuition and, and sort of reading the yeah. tea leaves with, with the reporting and the timing of the reporting. So that, that's just my analysis of it. I, I could be wrong. That's uh, fair. Makes sense. But to me, you know, if I'm picking between the two, I would rather keep Chris. Uh, I, I think you know, Chris and DJ is a better foundation than Blake and DJ, even though Chris is, is older, you know, you know, Blake's injury history concerns me and there's no guarantee Blake is going to be, you know, the same player in year three or four of this, you know, of the contract he signed with the Clippers just because of his injuries. You know, we've seen this with Amari Stoudemire, Antonio McDice, like different hyper athletic big men that have lots of knee surgeries and just lots of injuries it it piles up and once you hit your late 20s early 30s your body kind of just falls off and you're not the same guy I think Blake is more skilled than both of those guys and has turned into a good mid-range shooter amazing passer but if if you were picking between the two I I think Chris Paul is a better foundation than Blake Griffin I completely agree I don't think and I don't think there's any reason why they wouldn't offer the best player in their franchise history a fifth year I know he would be 37 at the end of the life of that contract but he's so good and just such a winning player yeah and and I think really you know regardless of the path they were going to take with Blake or Chris if it was an either or thing as currently constructed they probably have a three-year window max with the current core at which I guess now is, is Blake and DJ. Uh, so I just don't see like, I, I'd rather take that three year chance with Chris Paul and DJ and look for a wing to add rather than, you know, like if, if you, if you had done the Houston trade, like let's say hypothetically it was, it was reversed and Blake got traded to Houston for that package. And Chris was the one they kept, you know, I would be looking at that team as potentially, you know, the three or four seed versus now they're probably the seven or eight seed, if that. So I think it's a big difference between keeping Chris and keeping Blake. There have been some rumors that are difficult for me to believe. One of them involving Doc Rivers and Austin Rivers' relationship with Chris Paul. And it came out from an unconfirmed report by Michael Eaves on a Facebook post There was allegedly a trade from the New York Knicks that Doc Rivers rejected that would have landed the Clippers, Carmelo Anthony, in return for his son, Austin, Jamal Crawford, and Paul Pierce. I don't know about you. I find that difficult to believe that Phil Jackson would sign off on that and that Doc Rivers wouldn't take advantage of an opportunity like that, even though they like Austin's potential. And then also, if you can touch upon... What people have talked about in recent years regarding Chris Paul butting heads with Griffin and Jordan potentially leading to his departure. Yeah, so the Knicks trade was always interesting to me because it got leaked last, you know, uh, around the trade deadline. And to me, it was a no brainer from the Clippers' perspective. Like, you know, like you said, giving up Austin, who at this point projects to be a solid backup fringe starter at best. And then Jamal, who, you know, while he's he's obviously you know three times six man of the year award winner, 
you know, he's 36, about to be 37. You can afford to give him up to get a player of Carmelo Anthony's stature. Uh, so to me, it was always a no-brainer from the Clippers side. But if you look at who did the reporting, it was always coming out from Knicks beat writers. And it, it seemed like it leaked from the Knicks side. So to me, it was almost like the Knicks were trying to see kind of how people would feel about that type of trade. And the reaction was terrible. You know, they were like, we're not, you know, we can get something better than Austin Rivers as the, you know, core of, of a trade for Carmelo. We don't want Austin Rivers as a go-to thing we're getting for Melo. And then you saw sort of right after that, it, it got kind of axed and it was like, all right, this trade isn't happening. So I, I don't know, like, uh, I definitely think there was talks. I, I, I can't confirm one way or the other who said no. To me, it is ridiculous if the Clippers said no, like you said. And, uh, you know, I think it's a no-brainer to do that t- that deal particularly or, or anything close to that caliber of a deal, I, I think is a no-brainer for the Clippers. So to me, like if the Clippers said no to that and, and Doc said no, that is a fireable offense and that is a I'm leaving this franchise offense if I'm like Chris Paul because you know Carmelo Anthony is is much better than that package and he's one of Chris Paul's best friends in the league he's still yeah you know a a really good scorer and I I think it would have helped the Clippers you know probably it would have changed the season I don't want to say Michael Eve, you know, I'm, I'm sure he heard that on good authority, so I'm, I'm not going to discredit it, but I, I would be shocked if that were actually the case. And then to the other point, I think this has been blown up a little bit. I, I think earlier in their relationship, Chris butted heads with Blake and DJ, but I think Blake and DJ have both matured. You have to, you know, look at the, the, the timeline, like when Chris got there, he was, what, 26, 27? Blake was like 21 and DJ was like 21, 22. So they're, they're just completely you know, different. At the, those ages, you're so different. Like even just you know, looking at myself, how different I was at 21 to now. Or I mean, I'm sure you can, you know, for you too, like you're just yeah. so much different. I think in your early to mid-20s, you're just maturing so much every year that – yeah. You know, putting a 21-year-old Blake Griffin with a 27-year-old Chris Paul, like, they're just on completely different pages as people, despite only being six years apart. So, I think they've matured together. I think they've grown together. Do I think they're best friends? No. Do I think they're even good friends? No, obviously. But I, I think it was a working relationship. I think they, they definitely had their differences, and they definitely butted heads at times. But this wasn't a Kobe-Shack situation. Uh, where they they hated each other and, and were coming to blows and had like a bunch of blow ups and incidents. So to that, I, I don't really think it was the case. Um, what I, the one thing I'll say though is what I think is interesting is what Michael Eve said and and what kind of came out of that was it was sort of anti Austin Rivers and and sort of you know Chris was upset that. Doc didn't want to trade him, and players were upset with the the preferential treatment he reportedly got. But what's funny is when when Doc addressed it, he looped in Blake and DJ into it and kept being like, well, yeah, I keep hearing this Blake, DJ, and Austin stuff, and, you know, it's not true, blah, blah, blah. And, like, he referenced it three or four times. I just thought that was interesting because no one was mentioning Blake and DJ. It was yeah. only Austin, and Doc kept looping them in, and it's like, it was almost like he was trying to cover it up kind of and, and sort of 
you know, when when you loop more people in, it kind of it takes away from the the, the central point of the story, which was Austin. Yeah. And to that me, definitely makes like, sense. Yeah, so to me, like you know, that, that almost confirmed that to me because I'm like, why is Doc looping in Blake and DJ when no one's you know, the Blake and DJ stuff has been covered for years now. Like it was Austin that was the the centerpiece of that that report. So I don't think that really was the case. Like, I, I don't think anyone had serious beef with Austin either. Um, I, I'm sure at first it was a weird situation and you're almost setting yourself up to failure by bringing Austin in because I think there are like, people are going to be looking for that preferential treatment, right? Like anytime doc does anything nice for Austin, pe- there's going to be people who are like, Oh, that, you know, that's cause it's his, it's his son or he's trying to save him. And even if, you know, we, we can debate whether Austin Rivers was worth the contract he just signed. But regardless, you know, there's going to be people saying Austin Rivers only got that contract because his dad is Doc Rivers and he's the president of the team. I almost think at this point, it's better for them to kind of break up, whether that's Doc leaving or Austin leaving, just because I, I think this has grown into a toxic situation from the outside looking in. And the speculation and, and rumors aren't going to go away unless Austin becomes like an all-star or something. I, I almost think it's it's time for a breakup with those two just because I think, you know, th- these rumors have been nonstop since Austin's been here. And uh, I think it's just not healthy for the organization. Anytime I think a franchise like the Clippers experiences such a disaster in this case, it's franchise guy refusing to stay. There's going to be a ton of finger pointing and blame to go around. And I think, unfortunately, for Austin and Doc Rivers, they got the bulk of it in this situation. And that's not to say that what you were saying at the end isn't true because there very well could be an issue. But I think it's a shame that Chris Paul choosing where he wanted to go... It just turned so negative so quickly, unfortunately. But as you said, the complaints about this father-son situation aren't going to go away anytime soon. And as we talked about in the last interview, I think a lot of people don't truly appreciate the vast improvement that Austin Rivers has made. And so he continues to be an easy target on the internet or just around in conversations. Yeah, no, I like Austin... I'll say like Austin won me over and I've been a big critic of his. I've not been a fan of him, you know, really for a lot of his time with the Clippers, but really with the way he ended the 2015-16 season and the way he improved last year, like, you know, he became a very solid spot-up shooter and he limited his erratic drives to the rim and in some of his poor shot selection. And I think he, he's actually grown into a, a solid defender. Like, I, I think his, his defensive reputation kind of preceded him where people were kind of, you know, Doc was, was kind of puffing it up and, and Austin was, was talking about how good of a defender he was. And I don't think he was as good at that time, but I think he's grown into one. And especially against smaller guys, I think he can guard the one or the two you know, with the exception of maybe like a Clay Thompson or a DeMar DeRozan, like he can guard most twos very well and he can guard most, you know, point guards very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan when they put him on, on small forwards. I think he's too small to guard most small forwards. But 
I think Austin, you know, he's, he's become a three and D player. Uh, I think the, the biggest improvement for him is kind of the acceptance that he's not a real point guard. He is a two guard. I think for him, it's just been the self-awareness and, and self-acceptance of, of who he is and the type of player he is. And that, that's done wonders for his game. You alluded to this earlier. The way I understand the sign and trade, once Chris Paul made his decision known to not be a part of the Clippers franchise moving forward, I think it was a win-win for both teams and also for Chris Paul. So essentially, if he signed with the Rockets, I know they didn't have the cap space, but just hypothetically, if it were to be able to work this offseason, he would have been under contract for four years. That was the most the Rockets could have offered. And now it's essentially going to be six years from now if the Rockets do sign him to a five-year max next offseason because with the trade, his bird rights transferred over. And then, of course, for the Clippers, they got something for nothing. We'll go through the haul that they got in return for Paul. But if he walked away in free agency, they wouldn't have got anything. So just if you can talk a little bit about why this ended up working out for both once Paul made his feelings known. Well, yeah. So technically, it's a minor difference, but technically it was an opt-in and trade because like sign and trade only applies when you a new sign contract. a contract. Yeah, exactly. So okay. he opted in, which is what transferred his bird rights. If he had signed and trade, okay. that would not have transferred his bird rights for that contract. It's a rare thing because you see this constantly with, with superstars who are on the market. There's always the question of will they opt in for you know the last year of their deal play that extra year with the team and then go into free agency and, and potentially re-sign. And that's a sticking point because a lot of guys would rather go into free agency, secure the big deal, and then kind of figure that out versus opting it. Because the, the big thing with this is Chris Paul is taking a chance. Like he's betting on himself. He could have signed the deal with the Rockets or re-signed with the Clippers and gotten that secured over 150 plus with either team and secured that money. He's betting on himself this season uh, because if he falls off you know, this year, he's not going to get a five-year max or he's going to get a reduced max. So essentially, he opted in. He's, you know, he's hopefully, for himself, going to get that five-year max next summer, and it's basically going to be a six-year deal, probably take him to the end of his career. I'm interested to see if Houston actually offers it to him because I think if there's any team in the league that is ruthless and completely analytical and logical it's houston and if chris paul drops off next season even 10 percent, i think houston's going to take a hard look at how they project him to play out the next five years and they're not going to offer him a five-year max if they don't think he's worth it i think ruthless is right because chris paul did them a couple favors from my understanding the trade kicker the bonus or whatever you want to call it that he gets when traded he i believe only took in the upper 600 thousands of that and he was due i think was it two or three million yeah yeah it was i think it was 3.6 million and he took back like 600 something thousand okay and then also as you mentioned he opted in for what like 24 and a half million as opposed to a lot more just to help the cap situation for the Rockets, allow them to better build around him and James Harden. 
But yeah, you said ruthless, and I think that that would be fitting if they didn't offer him the contract. I guess when it comes down to it, all parties have to do what makes the most sense for them. I don't think it's a huge risk for Chris Paul because he's still playing at an elite level. But then again, with severe injuries that are are so hard to predict, you never really know. That would be a, a huge shame if he didn't get that max contract. But if he does, it's a brilliant move for him because, as you pointed out, it pushes the timeline back on him getting max money. And he's going to be locked up until he's, what, 38 or something? Yeah, and and, th- and that's the big thing is that he was never going to opt in with the Clippers because they were already maxed out. And, even you know, him opting in wouldn't have even – I mean, it would have saved their luxury tax bill – but it wasn't like they were going to get another, you know, big time role player or star. Redick, right? Exactly. I mean, maybe they could. I, I don't Highly think they were. Gonna, yeah. yeah. So the lottery tax would have been record breaking, I think. Yeah. So I think you know Redick was gone, and it it just didn't really make sense for Chris to do that. Um, but you know, like you just said, now instead of signing a five year deal and entering free agency at thirty seven. He's opting in and going to be ent- entering free agency basically at 33 and get that five-year deal to take him to 38. I think it's interesting also how the West is so much better than the East. And we had a couple more two-way stars who are in the primes of their career, Paul George and Jimmy Butler, come out West. And so it's it's getting even more crowded in this conference. And Redick is gone, Bob Mute likely to follow you mentioned it before that I think you you saw the Clippers maybe barely sneaking into the playoffs at best. I think best case scenario, possibly a sixth seed, but that's going to be tough. I mean, maybe Griffin's going to have to stay healthy, and I think a lot of things are going to break right. To what extent do you agree with that outlook? Um, 100%. Look, we, we have to give the Clippers credit. Like, Not a lot of teams have done and would do what they did, which was they accepted Chris Paul's word and they moved on from him. A lot of teams are stubborn and you see a situation like, you know, what just happened with Durant and and it just happened time and time before. Like a a guy wants to leave and he leaves for nothing. Or you see like a Paul George package where the Pacers had, you know, completely lost all their leverage because Paul George it leaked that he wanted to leave and he wasn't going to resign next summer. So, you know, the Pacers weren't operating from a position of strength in negotiations and they didn't get that great of a haul back for Paul George. Jimmy Butler, that hadn't really leaked, but the Bulls also, you know, it depends how high you are on Zach Levine, but the Bulls didn't really get a great package for him. I mean, I think it's insane that the Clippers could have you know, the Clippers were in a position to lose Chris Paul for nothing. He easily could have just walked in free agency. And they were able to flip that for, I, I thought, a, a very solid package. Patrick Beverly is a average starting point guard. You know, one of the best 3 and D guards in the league. Um, you know, just made all first-team defense. Uh, and, and is a you know, capable spot-up shooter. Doesn't need the ball, which I think fits in very well with Blake. If you know if you're going to run the offense through Blake, give Blake the ball a lot more. You want a point guard who doesn't have an ego and is a capable spot-up shooter. Pat Beverly's used to not having the ball in Houston. He's used to spotting up off of it. So I, I think that's a great fit with Blake. 
Uh, Lou Williams is a you know younger, better version of Jamal Crawford. Obviously, Jamal yeah. Crawford just got traded, mm-hmm. um, but you know Lou Williams slides in capably in that position, and you know has been better than Jamal for a couple years now. Uh, Sam Decker is just a nice young wing. The Clippers haven't had one of those. I feel like since Chris Paul got there, uh, obviously now Gallinari is probably going to be starting over him. But, uh, yeah. you know, Decker can play the three or the four. I, I think you're going to have some flexibility now with him. And, you know, he can play with Blake. He can play with Gallinari. They can kind of switch off which one of them is the three, four. So I think Decker provides some nice versatility. And then Montrez Harrell, like he's a poor man's Kenneth Fareed and, and maybe can even become like, you know, 90% of Kenneth Freed and as an, you know, a bench big, like I think he should have played more in Houston. I, you know, every time I saw him play, I thought he had a great impact on the game. And, um, you know, if you're, you know, if you're playing him 15 to 20 minutes a night, I think you could do much worse in, in, you know, finding a backup big. So for me, like I, I thought they, they added depth, they added versatility, they added some youth and they added assets like at, at the worst, Lou Williams and Patrick Beverly can both be flipped easily if, if you want to flip those guys. So I, I thought to me, like, no matter what direction they went in, whether it was a full rebuild or just, you know, reloading around Blake, I thought this trade was a great haul. And if Chris had walked for nothing, they would have been screwed. They would have maybe been able to add one guy, but not four. And yeah. you, know, you, you saw that this deal allowed them, look what it allowed them to do. It allowed them to flip Jamal. And the pick they got, I mean, I didn't even mention the pick, but the pick they got, which was going to be late first round, like they were able to flip that for Danilo Gallinari. Now Gallinari, we could get into, obviously injuries are the big concern there, but he is that three that they've been missing this whole time. And it's just kind of ironic that I feel like they could have somehow gotten him if they had kept Chris Paul. And now you get Gallinari and you have Chris Paul, like that's an interesting team, you know, maybe the second best team in the West, but Obviously, things played out differently. Um, but I, I thought it was a great trade given the circumstances. In the macro yeah. sense, the Clippers lost the trade because they lost a top 10 player. And they went from a fringe contender to a playoff hopeful. But in the micro, they, they got some decent players. They got some flexibility. And I think they're remaining competitive, you know, building around Blake, which they obviously chose to do. Yeah, I think that's well said. That's the reason why I made the disclaimer at the beginning. Once Chris Paul made his displeasure known, then I think it was a win-win. Because, yeah, obviously, losing Chris Paul, not too good no matter what happens. And I'm glad you mentioned that first-round pick because so valuable to be able to flip that to Atlanta in the three-way trade for Gallinari. We've gone way too long, I think, without talking about Blake Griffin. I'm sure a lot of a lot of Clippers fans could exhale and breathe a sigh of relief after the Blake Griffin news was announced. That happened two days after the Chris Paul news broke. So there was a lot of panic. And I think that a lot of fans probably thought, okay, the Clippers may rebuild. From my perspective, they weren't going to do that because of what Steve Ballmer has been doing um, with the new arena in Inglewood. Arguably, it could have been smarter from a basketball and long-term financial flexibility perspective to rebuild. But what were some of the trade-offs there that, that they had to make? Well, what's funny is the morning the trade was announced, I was actually about to post an article 
on a Clipper blog about how I felt no matter what, the Clippers should bring back Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. And obviously, you know, they had a say. And if, if one or both left, then so be it. There's nothing you could do about that. But I was of the perspective that the Clippers should offer both of them a max contract, bring the team back, and, and just go for it. Because to me, this franchise has been before you know Chris Paul arrived, and I guess you could even say before Blake arrived, like this franchise has been arguably the laughing stock of professional sports. That you know, you can make the case, you know, of the four major American, you know, professional sports or North American professional sports, like they were the laughing stock, the joke. You saw it on late night TV. You saw the Sports Illustrated cover with the, the Clippers fans with the bags on their head. Like this team was a joke and, and has been for, for 30 plus years. And now you get Blake Griffin, you know, this really exciting young, you know, athletic big man. And then you get Chris Paul, one of the best point guards ever in his prime. And you have something and you have something special. And, and this team, for all their, uh, you know, underachievement in the postseason, they just had six straight seasons with a 600, you know, plus winning percentage. They won 50 plus games five years in a row. They had the third best regular season record behind the Spurs and Warriors. And if you look at the six champions in the time that Chris and Blake were together, you know, each champion had one of three things, LeBron James, Greg Popovich, or Steph Curry. So you have probably the second best player ever, arguably the best coach ever, and unquestionably the best shooter ever. So, you know, they've gone up in a, you know, this core has been in a, in a historic period in, in time where the league has changed, you know, three-point shooting, spacing, ball movement have all become advanced to a level I think the Clippers never really got to or accepted. And, and they were kind of this old school team built around, you, you know, the, the Clippers never really played positionless basketball. The Clippers were kind of stuck in, in how the game used to be played. And they're, they're a more traditional team with traditional lineups, traditional spacing. Um, and, and the game kind of, I feel like, almost evolved past them. And, and that's why you kind of saw that this team almost got worse each and each year as they were together after kind of peaking around 2013, 2014. So to circle back on that, like, I think keeping Blake made sense just because if, if the Clippers lost Blake and Chris, they were going to go back to irrelevance. They, they were not set up for a rebuild. This was not a Utah Jazz or Boston Celtics situation where those teams were able to, you know, the, the Jazz dumped Darren Williams and, and rebuilt, you know, within three years. The, the Celtics dumped their big three and, and rebuilt within a couple years. The Clippers, mm-hmm. if they lost Blake and, and Chris and then had to trade DJ, this was going to be like a four or five year process at a minimum. They do not have any young assets. They, you know, they don't have a couple of their picks over the next few years. They were not set up to rebuild very well. This was going to be an ugly process of just gutting the team, uh, you know, hoping to find some cheap young talent and really hoping to draft well, which they have not done over the last few years. So I think this was going to be an ugly situation where this team almost became Brooklyn Nets West. There's more things about it than just the on-court product. Like the Clippers have now sold out. I forgot the exact number, like 240-something games. They've sold out every game um, since before Chris even got there. I think since Blake's rookie season, they've sold out every home game. 
they just signed a new TV deal last year. You know, they're always on national TV 20 plus times a year. Like this team has gone from complete irrelevance to being probably a top 10 team in in terms of just relevance and and being talked about on TV and then just sort of, you know, a team that's on everyone's mind. So to me, keeping Blake always made sense. You know, I I don't think they were built for a rebuild. And I think Doc would have left. I I think it it didn't make sense to bring in Jerry West if you were going to rebuild. So to me, I I think it's huge that Blake stayed and it's going to keep them competitive. And and like we just said, like they're they're probably a six or seven seed next year. But to me, that's better than, than being the worst team in the West and you know, having half the crowd attend your games and kind of just going back to being a, you know, not necessarily a dysfunctional franchise, but just an irrelevant one. Yeah, I'm with you on a lot of this. And not just irrelevance, I think that they would have gone back to being a laughing stock precisely because of what you were arguing about them not being prepared for a rebuild. It would have taken a long time. And while admitting that they're definitely secondary to the Los Angeles Lakers, fan base and level of prestige the lakers and their legacy is so ingrained in los angeles sports fandom and culture but they've built up so much goodwill among their fan base and i want to read an excerpt from kevin arnovitz's article on this because i thought it was really well written and, and powerful So the Clippers decided, obviously, against rebuilding, and um, now I'm quoting him. Instead, the Clippers opted to swallow hard, present Griffin with the coveted fifth year, and retool around the phenom whose arrival in 2009 launched the Clippers' ascension into relevance. After all the heartbreak and unnatural disasters of the past six seasons, it's easy to forget that before Griffin, the Clippers didn't register. So I think that just goes with what we're saying, that the Clippers register now, and if Blake Griffin were to leave, they would just be undoing everything that they built up over his tenure here. I want to provide a little more context on the Steve Ballmer thing I alluded to before. So he bought the team for $2 billion in 2014, and he recently secured a deal to negotiate with the city of Inglewood on a new arena. And that would be built next to the Rams' new football stadium. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think the Clippers are under contract to play at Staples until or through 2024. Yeah, that's correct. Okay, but attendance and positivity among the fan base, it would go to nothing if uh, they um, were just a, a horrible product on the court. So I think there's so much more that goes into it than just the basketball X's and O's and just thinking about the injury risk that you mentioned before with with Blake Griffin. So I think for him to stay, you had to give him max years and max money. Going to his decision, because it's a two-way street, obviously the Clippers could have offered five years and the max money and he could have spurned them for a team like the Suns or, or tried to go to the Celtics or whatever the situation could have been. But for him, what do you think the biggest incentives were in his decision to stay? Money. <laughs> uh, I think it's that simple. Um, and stability, right? Yeah, and I think Blake wanted that security of a five-year deal for slightly different reasons than Chris because Blake is 
you know, 27, going to be 28. So he's going to be ending his, his contract around 32, 33. So at, at that point, we don't know what condition he's going to be in health-wise. We don't know how good he's going to be. Realistically, best case scenario, he makes it relatively healthy out of the next five years. He's definitely going to, you know, start dropping off around that 32, 33 mark. So this could, you know, potentially be his last big contract. And I think for him... He's been so injured the last three years that I think just getting that security of five years, he doesn't have to worry about that now. I think it was a no-brainer for him to get that money. And if they didn't offer it, I think he he would have left. That has to be the main reason. I'll take off a couple potential ones and you can just respond just overall to how prominently you think those factored in. I think that they're all very distant second and third reasons why, but a lot of people talk about just how active he is in the entertainment industry and and obviously the proximity, just playing in Los Angeles could help a lot for that, even though he would be able to, to continue his creative work elsewhere. He's also really close friends with DeAndre Jordan and has been since he entered the league. And with all the regular season success that the Clippers have had, even with Chris Paul leaving, there is still that familiarity with the franchise and that hope for continuing the winning ways, even though they're no longer a contender. And we both agree on that. A hundred percent. Like I think, you know, I was kind of being a little sarcastic with the, with the money comment, but I mean, it's probably I, I, mostly that. I mean, look, money and stability is big. And, I, you know, yeah. again, they were going to offer him an extra year and, and, you know, 30 to 40 million than anyone else could. So that, that's big mm-hmm. for sure. But to your point, Blake is very involved in the entertainment scene with movies and, you know, comedy and, and TV stuff. Like, obviously, his endorsements, but, you know, he, he's done stand up. He's been on. You know, Broad City. He's done a bunch of different stuff. Intern for Funnier Die, right? Exactly. Like, so he he has a lot of friends in the industry. I, I think it's definitely something he's going to pursue more over the next like decade, and and definitely after his career is over. So I, I think there's a lot of upside for him staying here. I think he likes the LA lifestyle, and then again, like by resigning, he's going to be the best and most important Clipper ever. He's going to have, I mean, he was already going to have his jersey retired, but this completely cements it. Um, If the Clippers end up staying at Staples Center or wherever they end up um, in the future, you know, he's going to probably have a statue. Uh, You know, he is the the most important Clipper ever, you know, bar none now. I I think you could have made the case. Chris Paul at this point is the best Clipper ever and probably the most important to this point. But Blake Griffin is going to surpass that now. So I, th- I think there's also that, that benefit where, like to me, you know, looking at his options, he was always Boston's second option. So to me, I, I thought, you know, Boston made a lot of sense for Blake. Uh, I think he would have fit really nicely with Al Horford. He would have gone to the East where it was less competitive, you know, had a chance to make the uh, Eastern Conference Finals and possibly the Finals and then, then kind of get that monkey off his back. And I think there's a certain cachet that you get with playing with the Celtics. But obviously, they preferred Paul George and Gordon Hayward. So Blake was always going to have to wait that out. And I think he wanted to kind of get this over with quickly. And so you saw him looking at Denver and Phoenix. Miami was there, but Miami, I think people have kind of overblown Miami's a, Miami's ability to get free agents. I think looking at some of it in, in retrospect, 
I don't really think they should be credited as much with, with getting certain players as, as they have been. And B, like that core, I, I don't really love a Dragic white side core. I think Spolstra is amazing. He's one of the best five to seven coaches in the league. Uh, Pat Riley obviously has a great track record and Miami's a great city and, and they've been a great organization the last you know 10 to 12 years. But I don't really see Miami being a more tr- attractive situation than the Clippers besides just being in the East. And, and that's like the only advantage. So to me, I also just didn't even think there was that great of suitors for Blake. I guess there's rumors of Houston kind of getting involved. And, and I, I thought San Antonio would have been really interesting because I think Blake would have loved San Antonio's culture. I think Pop would have gotten the best out of Blake. And I, I think him and Kawhi would have been a, a really solid tandem. But you factor in the money, you factor in the legacy of staying with the Clippers, you factor in the entertainment industry and just LA overall, and then not really many great options. I think it was a no-brainer from Blake's perspective to stay. Along the lines of that legacy thing, the pitch session reportedly was centered around that. And apparently, according to reports, he stood up and said at the end of the, the pitch session, I want my legacy to be a Clipper. And then they went out to dinner and talked about things and um, just had a good time. But according to an ESPN report, there's an anonymous clipper that said that he was worried that Griffin was impressionable enough to be persuaded to go elsewhere to Miami, Phoenix, or Boston. And to me, that sounds like some semblance of immaturity on Griffin's part over the years played into that anonymous player's mind when thinking about the situation. And I think that goes to the leadership void that's now being left with the departures of Chris Paul and Redick. So how much, in your estimation, will the Clippers count on Griffin to assert himself as more of a leader, whether it's vocally driven, more by action, or or however you define leader? I think part of his leadership was stunted because of Chris Paul. You know, again, Blake was 21, kind of starting to come into his own. Chris Paul comes in. He's 27. He's a multi-time All-Star. Uh, you know, a couple years prior, he had finished second in MVP voting. Like, Chris Paul was established. And as we all know, he's a big talker. He's extremely competitive. So he was going to assert himself as the alpha, as the locker room leader. And you also had guys like Chauncey Billups and Karan Butler. So, like, Blake, I feel like... In an alternate universe where the Chris Paul trade doesn't happen, the Clippers have their young core with Bledsoe and DJ and, and Al Aminu and, and Eric Gordon, like, and that team grows together. I think Blake Griffin develops into a different type of leader. Whereas, you know, now basically his his second full season in the league, Chris Paul comes in and it just changes the dynamic. So, I think Blake has matured and is definitely more of a mature person than he was earlier in his tenure with Chris. But I don't think he's ever had to really be the leader because Chris has been there and then later Doc came in. So I think, you know, I agree. I, th- I think Blake is going to assert himself more. I think he, he has to. He has to be more the leader. Like it's his team unquestionably now. I, I think DJ has become somewhat of a locker room leader too. But I, I would say that gives me a little bit of concern if those are your two leaders, just because there have been so many rumors and reports of, of you know maturity issues with those two. Now, obviously, we you know we can look at it and wonder who's leaking what, who's saying what. Is it coming from Chris? You know, so obviously that's going to be more one sided. Uh, but 
I, I definitely think Blake has to assert himself more. And I also think, you know, Pat Beverly is going to be a guy who's going to be very vocal. That That's a guy who a know, good point. shares his opinion. He's not going to back down from anybody. So I, I think Pat Beverly is going to step in and be one of the leaders in, in the locker room. But I, I definitely think Blake hasn't really had that chance to be that leader. Similar to, you know, someone like Kyrie. I, I think Kyrie, it would be interesting to see him have his own team just because sort you know after his first couple of years lebron came in and then it's been lebron's team and he's the leader yeah so kyrie hasn't really had to flex that muscle or you know work on that because lebron's doing it and i think that was similar with, with blake and with chris being there now that chris is gone it's blake's team he's gonna have to be the leader i don't think he's ever gonna be that raw raw um, yeah. extremely vocal you know extroverted guy he's, he's definitely way more introverted but um, I think he, you know, he he falls in line more with like a guy like a Tim Duncan or a Kawhi Leonard, where he's more of I'm going to lead by example, I'm going to work my butt off, and and be the first guy in, the last guy out, and you know you're going to have to work as hard as me for me to respect you and and for you to to kind of be respected on this team. One big thing we didn't mention also was the early 2016 incident where he punched his friend the um, equipment manager in Toronto, which is absolutely inexcusable for any player, let alone a leader of a team and a star for a franchise. I know that was an isolated incident, but it did happen. And this franchise is now all in on him as their leader, even with the help of a guy like Beverly. Uh, Moving on now, we spent a lot of time on Paul and Griffin as well we should. They're so important to the franchise. But that three-way trade with Denver and Atlanta, I think, is really intriguing. I saw Matt Moore from CBS Sports posted on Twitter a Gallinari stat on his uh, pick-and-roll efficiency. Apparently, Gallinari was in the 95th percentile in pick-and-roll offense last season. And I know Chris Paul is gone, but Blake Griffin loves to run the pick-and-roll. DJ as well. You did mention the injury concerns. What are the trade-offs between how much he can provide and how risky acquiring a guy like him is? Well, if everything goes right, if Blake and and Gallinari can both play 70-plus games, I I think this team has the talent and the versatility to be a five or six seed in the West. But it is a big risk. Like, and and that what's funny is. I saw some people joking on, on Twitter about it, like, you know, the Clippers finally have a draft pick and they end up flipping it for an injury-prone veteran on a big contract. Um, I think Gallinari is worth the deal if he remains healthy over the next three years. I think people underrate him. You know, the guy, I, you know, I think he's, he's definitely one of the best combo forwards in the league. He's extremely versatile. Like you said, he you know, he can handle the ball he can play make he can shoot um he gets to the free throw line he's a very good three-point shooter like i think all offensively he's one of the most versatile forwards in the league um, he's not elite but he he's good to very good and i think it, it solves what the clippers have needed from the three spot you know for the last six years uh with that said I think there's injury concerns. I think there's defensive concerns. I, I think Gallinari ideally is, is used as a stretch four and, and not as much of a three. So he's not a guy who you're going to put on Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Paul George, 
Kawhi Leonard, you know, keep going down the list. Obviously, those guys are impossible to guard regardless, but you want someone who's, who can at least hold their own. That's where I think Luke Mabamute was so critical for the Clippers uh, over the last couple of years, where he, he actually kind of was the guy they needed defensively, just offensively. He, he was such a liability that, you know, it, it caused a lot of issues. So I think the Clippers, you know, now that they've made this move, they, they should try and bring back Luke. I don't know what the market for him is going to be. Like we said, I think he's probably gone. But I, I think if you could somehow bring him back and, and maybe dump Wesley Johnson's contract uh, somewhere else, uh, I, I think, you know, that now you're starting to have some a core where you're versatile, you, you have guys with, with multiple skill sets, and, and you can kind of play an offense-defense with Gallinari and Mabamute. Um, but again, with that said, like I, I think if you're going to be playing Pat Beverly and Austin Rivers, if that's your starting backcourt, neither one of those guys is a great ball handler or, or playmaker or passer. So having a guy like Gallinari with Blake is really interesting to me because you're going to be running a lot of your offense through your forwards and not your guards, which is unorthodox for the Clippers and just kind of unorthodox for the league right now. Although I guess the team that kind of is most like that is the Warriors running a lot of offense through Draymond and KD. Um, but but Steph is still capable of running an offense if he, if he wants. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because the Clippers now have better playmaking and ball handling from their forwards than their guards which is a really unique dynamic. That is really interesting. One guy that they traded away who's a fan favorite, and you recently tweeted out that he's the nicest player I've come across covering the NBA, Jamal Crawford. Personally, it's tough for me to see him go. I think it makes a lot of sense from a basketball perspective because his game is kind of redundant with Lou Williams's and, and Lou Williams is younger and better. And the Clippers have been trying to get rid of his contract for a while. That does help them in a basketball sense. Would you agree with that? 100%. And I think the Clippers were in a, a tough situation where they couldn't really add anybody. They only had the, you know, the, the non-tax, um, like the non-tax mid-level exception, which is 8.4 million. So with that, amount of money you're not going to really add anyone of significant value or it's it's, it's hard to so I, I think being able to flip Jamal who like you just said was redundant with Lou Williams and even redundant with Austin to an extent you know Austin is has a similar offensive game to Jamal I think you you know you could only have so many gunners on one team and I think flipping Jamal for a better player in Gallinari and for a better fitting player that, that brings a different skill set, I think that's important for them. And, mm-hmm. and once Lou Williams was there, I think the writing was on the wall that either Jamal or Lou was going to be flipped. But Lou made more sense because he only has one year left on his deal. And like you said, he's younger and better at this point. So getting out of the Jamal contract, opening up some future cap space and, you know, kind of adding a different type of player into the mix in Gallinari, I think it's a win for the Clippers. It's not going to be a win if Gallinari gets injured and, you know, that becomes kind of an albatross contract where he's never playing and they're paying him 20 plus million. 
to sit on the bench. But he is 28, so there's some room for optimism. Uh, but but overall, I think that that trade is a win for the Clippers, just because I, I think they needed to move Jamal at some point. Uh, but but that being said, like you you know like you mentioned, I you know in covering this team the last five years, like I've you know Jamal has been the nicest guy to deal with. The PWA, the Pro Basketball Writers Association, gives out an award uh, for each team to the player that's the nicest to deal with and, and the best you know with the media. I think Jamal's won that the last three or four years in a row with the Clippers. Um, so, you know, he's a pleasure to deal with. He's the nicest guy. It, it's tough to see him go from, from that perspective. Um, I, I hope yeah. he ends up with the Lakers and stays in L.A. so I can still see him. But, uh, you know, from a basketball perspective and from the Clippers, you know, on-court perspective, I, I think it definitely makes sense to move on from him. Just a little bit more on Jamal before we close out. Not only was he really generous with the media, but there's so many stories of kind gestures that he did involving fans, people who experienced tragedies. He would show up places unannounced. He, he would sign shoes. Just so many good deeds. Just seemingly, I've never met him in person, but just all accounts I've heard, just such a great guy. And then on the court, even though he wasn't the most efficient and fairly, I think, considered kind of a gunner, he was just so fun to watch, cross people over, and just take these buzzer-beating shots to end quarters. Whether he made them or not, he was so important for just providing that scoring punch off the bench for all those second units. The last thing I'll ask you, just a, a... two-pronged question i think it's funny the time such a precarious time for this franchise when jerry west came on as a consultant with the two franchise cornerstones in paul and griffin both up for free agency when west joined as a consultant i'm curious from what you've gathered how involved he'll be in the decision making process and then the second thing i want to ask you is Besides trying their hardest to retain Bahamute, which I think will be really tough, are there any moves on the horizon that we should look out for? So Jerry West, I think, has been very involved. Uh, you know, I said earlier, and this is going to you know kind of contradict that. What that I, I kind of felt the Clippers were were posturing after Chris Paul got traded to sort of change the narrative and say it was mutual. Now, I, like I said, I don't really believe that's the case. But if that is the case, that is 100%, I think, a, a Jerry West move. I think if Jerry West wasn't involved, the Clippers would have unquestionably offered Chris the five-year max if they didn't. And I think that's what Doc Rivers would have preferred. So to me, the fact that the Clippers were even considering rebuilding or that that was out there and that they were also considering not giving Blake the five-year max, that to me screams Jerry West. And, and you know at his introductory press conference, he mentioned like, you know, I don't believe in the status quo. I, you know, I'm not just going to sit here and, and sort of bring the band back together necessarily. So to me, like, I think he was exhausting all options. He was looking at every possible thing. Um, I think they looked at trying to get Carmelo. I'm sure they looked at trying to get Paul George. I don't think they really had the assets to get either one. So Jerry West, I think, is going to be very involved. He's not going to be involved in a, the day-to-day process, but I think 
especially during this time period when you know free agency is only like a two or three week window for the most part. Uh, I think he's going to be very involved. And I, I think ultimately, you know, you, I think you saw him also on draft day with the, with the Clippers buying two second round picks. Like that to me screamed of a Jerry West move when the Clippers haven't really done that under Doc Rivers. And, and you know, a lot of people felt the two guys they got were, were relative steals. So, <coughs> excuse me, um, having a tough time here. <laughs> uh, so I, I think Jerry West has, has definitely put his, his imprint on the team already. Um, as, as far as future moves, the Clippers, I think, are pretty close to being done. I think they're going to look at Luke Mbamute and, and try and bring him back. If not, I think they're going to look for, you know, they probably need another big man. I think the, the front court is still a little shallow. Um, so, I, you know, I think they're reported today to be talking to JaVale McGee. It wouldn't surprise me if they brought him in. Dwayne Dedman is the guy that, that kind of makes sense, like, I think there's several cheap bigs out there that make sense. Maybe a Jeff Withy, like guys like that who, who can kind of be, if DeAndre gets injured or in foul trouble, a guy that could come in and, and kind of fill that void for 15, 20 minutes if need be. So I think they're going to look for a backup big man, probably a center. Um, and I think they'll, they'll probably look for one more wing or guard they don't really technically have a backup point guard. I guess you could say it's Lou Williams, but um, you know he's obviously not a traditional point guard. And I think, like I said, having Austin and, and Pat Beverly already on the team, those aren't really traditional point guards either. So, <coughs> damn. Uh, I think uh, it was reported today Milos Teodosic, uh, the, the Serbian point guard, um, you know, was in talks with the Clippers for their full mid-level for three years. Um, I, I don't know how legitimate that is yet. I'm going to try and find out. But I think that would be a cool, you know, he'd be great as a backup point guard. Uh, a lot of people say he's the best European player not in the NBA right now. So I, I think him coming over would be a very savvy move. And the Clippers have not had a lot of international players recently, um, or at least productive ones. So I, I think that would be kind of uncharacteristic for them in, in a positive way. And, you know, that to me also screams Jerry West. Yeah, there's a lot to look out for coming up, but you did a really great job of helping us understand what's happened just in the last week alone. So much craziness has happened. I really appreciate all your time, though. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Sorry, my my throat's been going out the last few minutes. (laughs) It's my fault for keeping you on an hour plus. (laughs) We'll do this again sometime.